The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League. Killian in the name of... Uh, Bayern shock as Red Bull doesn't give them win and Man City pay tribute to a legendary venue as they dick Sporting good 5-0 in Lisbon. Don't worry Sporting, away goals no longer count double. Our thoughts on that plus all the treats in store this weekend in the Premier League, the reverse fixtures of course from opening day and what's this? The opening round of the 2022 Intertotally. It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well then, listener, here you are, and here are we on this Thursday, the 17th of February, crystallised in time. It's Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Also, Adrian Clark. Hi. Hi. And Michael Cox. Hello. Hello. I'm excited because I don't think we've ever had these three people together, four if you include me, and I like to, uh, in a podcast ever. So we'll see how that works. Uh, everyone enjoy the midweek uh, action? I didn't enjoy my own midweek action. Um, no, play, Adrian, play what happened? Side. Yeah, mm. and um, I've, I've done my Achilles. Um, oh, not, no. not snapped it or anything like that, but uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm gritting my teeth through this pod um, and, and limping. All right, maybe house. listeners are too, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, but yeah, the, the football was good to watch, but but not so good to play in. I see, I see. Well, among other uh, parties damaged by the midweek uh, occurrences were Real Madrid, who were beaten one nil by that late, late Kylian Mbappe strike away at Paris Saint Germain, and a uh, course Sporting Club de Lisbon, where Man City won five nil, becoming the first club ever to be four nil up at half-time of a Champions League knockout match away. Hmm. Wednesday, there was a shock in Austria. Uh, Salzburg were seconds away from an upset wonder win over Bayern. Kingsley Coman rescuing a point, though, for the Bavarians. And Liverpool headed home happy from a tough night at San Siro, thanks to Bobby Firmino's new-look header and, and one from Mo Salah. Woof. All right. Uh, excited commentary of the week. Uh, these French boys on Killian's 94th-minute winner. C'est maintenant Kylian Mbappé. C'est oui, maintenant oui. Kylian Mbappé. Oui, C'est maintenant oui. Kylian Mbappé. Bien oui. joué Kylian. Pas de sentiments. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> Duncan, that's the sheer joy of somebody. That's that's the essence of football. Well, if it's fan zone, fair enough. But I think co-commentators <laughs> need to show a certain level of decorum. Right. Um, you don't want Fletch busting out the nah, ecstatic nah. orgasmic screams. No, I don't. All right. No, no. No, no. Uh, what a goal, though. What a goal in a game that Paris Saint-Germain had, had dominated but looked set to draw. Of course, uh, that Leo Messi missing a penalty previously won by Mbappé before a delicious back heel by second-half substitute Neymar left Mbappé with still quite a lot of work to do, but he shimmied past two Real Madrid defenders and then slotted it past Courtois uh, for a Gallic explosion. Oh, it was brilliant. It really was. And he deserved it, didn't he? He was the best player on, on the pitch, no doubt about that. Total mismatch, him against Carver Howe. You're looking for a bit of penetration, aren't you, from your wide forwards these days. You know, Mo Salah is the, is the prime example. And Mbappé at 18 touches inside Real Madrid's box. Um, Real Madrid's front three, combined, had one. Wow. So that shows you the difference. It was it was um, very one-sided. Um, Real Madrid played like minnows. And, uh, and yeah, they, they kind of got, got what they deserved, I think, even though mm. they'll say that they defended stoutly. It was, it was quite negative from them. But, yeah, Mbappe was, was fabulous. One team had Mbappe, one team didn't. Was that the difference? No, I don't think so, no. I, I think it was just the mentality. I think that, that Real Madrid set up to keep the score down and PSG, it wasn't just about Mbappe. You know, most of their players put in sort of seven, eight out of ten performances. It's just that that, that particular matchup with the right-back, Carver Howe, and then even the, the guy who replaced him, it, they just couldn't get near him. And, and, mm. and that goal... That goal outlined that, didn't it? So yeah, it was. Um, yeah, he 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 was hot, but so were PSG. Really, I thought I thought it was uh, much better from them against a so-called giant. Indeed, uh, 
Uh, he'd previously won, as I mentioned, a spot kick, which Leo Messi stepped up for, but failed to convert. That was just after the out. It's the fifth time that Messi has squandered a Champions League penalty opportunity in 23 attempts. Question, uh, given that he can do pretty much what he wants with the ball in almost every other scenario, why is he so bad at one of the simplest acts in football? Well, if he's missed five of 23, that means he's scored 18 of 23. So that's, what, <laughs> 70, 78-ish percent. So... He's not bad. He's he's just um, he's no no better than the average. I suppose would be the right. good way of putting it. But yeah, it's it's, no it's, it's, yeah. Well, <laughs> not yet. No comment. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is it is of all the things that it, I mean, he is world class at almost everything else, and he's only okay at penalties. So it's probably a fair criticism. Um, I think Courtois was saying afterwards that he basically well. As he would claim, he said he knew which way Messi was going to go. I do remember a while back seeing some statistics where people had plotted Messi's penalties about where he puts them, which is quite standard these days. But they did find that when there's a big penalty, he tends to go that way, the way he went. It's almost like that's his you know, his favoured side. And if he's 3-0 up or 4-0 up, then he'll go for a different type of penalty because it doesn't matter. Um, and maybe because it will you know, slightly confuse the statistics for, for goalkeepers in the future. So... Yeah, I must say, I was not in goal, but when he was uh, lining up, I did think, I did think... <laughs> you just say this, it, Michael. Is this what you're saying? Oh, I don't think I would have got to it, Adrian, but I do remember reading this article and thinking, when it's a big penalty, it tends to go across his body, and maybe Courtois knew that as well. He's got quite a similar penalty uh, plot map, whatever you want to call it, to, to Mo Salah, actually. They tend to do, they're both left-footed, they both kind of hit it in that sort of spot when when it's a big penalty, um, and both, I guess, have missed a few high-profile ones. The best Messi penalty taken was um, when he just rolled it to Suarez in that game. Didn't mess <laughs> that up, did he? So, mm-hmm. Well, that counts that as one. a miss. That counts as a miss, does it, according to well, it, that Yeah, it did lead to a bit of a debate, because it is technically a penalty not scored, but, you know, it's a... It's a philosophical point, isn't it, really? <laughs> wow, yeah, it's interesting uh, Interesting you mentioned that, Michael. So the stat's slightly better than we thought. Anyway, he missed this, and it looked like it was going to be really costly for PSG and for him in GOAT debate terms because only 54 seconds after Courtois had saved his spot kick, Ronaldo scored against Brian, which is kind of an equivalent fixture. Of course, Real Madrid had three shots. They faced 21 only two touches, as Adrian was mentioning, in the opposition box in the first half, which is their lowest total in a Champions League match for eight years. It was the biggest difference between shots taken and shots faced for Real that they'd ever had in a Champions League game. It led to some people saying that if the away goals rule was still in place, rather than scrapped as it has been this season, that Real Madrid would have attacked a bit more and it would have been a better game. What do you think, some people? Well, I was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I mean, I'm not sure you can judge it on the basis of one game. But, I mean, the overall point stands, I think. I think the overall goal, uh, the way goals thing was, was overall a good thing um, and, and added to the excitement of Champions League nights. Did it affect Real Madrid's performance? I think it might have done a little bit, but I think in general they were just really, they're just very bad. I think they were bad more than they were negative. They just couldn't get up the pitch. So I don't know whether it would have affected it, but those statistics suggest that it's pretty much the either the worst they've ever been or the most defensive they've ever been. So maybe there's something in it. Mm. Well, of course, they were without Benzema uh, on Tuesday. They weren't, but you, were you could be forgiven for thinking they were. <laughs> what, did he play? Yeah. <laughs> well, What, the whole game? He won a yeah. competition, got to run around. <laughs> oh, no, now I remember. <laughs> now I remember. Yeah, yeah, OK, sorry, yeah. No, he did play, fair enough. And, uh, well, hopefully he'll be there as well when they meet again in three weeks' time. Although, Real Madrid will be without Felon Mendy and also Casemiro because they both booked up bookings and, and, and will be suspended. Hmm. I did, it's interesting that you uh, made that mistake, James, because I do think this game, we saw you know, Neymar's just in the 30s, Benzema's in his 30s, Gareth Bale came on, who's... You know, maybe he was in his forties now. I'm not sure. <laughs> Messi's in his thirties. You know, Ronaldo scored over up at Manchester in well into his thirties, and yet obviously Mbappe shone in that game. And, it, and I think a lot of players have been kind of uh, fending off Father Time for quite a few seasons. And in some ways, this game did kind of feel like the. I know we've said this a few times with Haaland and Mbappe, but this did feel like the official handing off of the to the next generation in a sense. Wow. Okay. 
It was a bit poignant. Anyway, moving on then. Man City winning 5-0 at Sporting. Cited by some as evidence of kind of the grotesque financial imbalance of football. But it's worth remembering that Ajax, who are not exactly flush, did this to Sporting in the group stage as well. They went to Lisbon and 1-5-1. Sebastian Allaire doing all the work that night with four goals. Anyway, City, as I mentioned, becoming the first team in Champions League history to lead an away game by four goals at halftime in the knockout stages. Uh, two of the goals, the, which do you prefer, uh, the Bernardo Silva or the Raheem Sterling? Silver for me, I think. Silver for me as well. What do you think, Adrian? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it was just so sweet, wasn't it? The the way I think when a player catches a half volley as beautifully as that on the run, it's one of the greatest sights in in, in football. And yeah, Bernardo Silva, just great techers from him. Um, Sterling deserves credit because it's, it doesn't feel that long ago that most people were saying he doesn't know how to strike the ball properly. That mm. he, he he can't kick it as hard or as cleanly as he should for for an elite level professional footballer but boys he improved on that in, in recent times it, it was a great strike but not as good as Bernardo's for me the thing about the, the silver goal as well was the, it was like it had been dropped in a particle accelerator or something it was moving at a normal football pace until it reached his foot and then suddenly <laughs> tang looked like one of those you know when they talk about ovni, uh, UFOs suddenly kind of accelerating in an, it, a way in, in, implausible through the laws of physics, that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, there you go, 5-0 at Sporting. Pep, post-game. Last season, we played 13 games. We won 11 and drew one. We got to the final and lost, and it was, what a f- failure is this team, but it's not true. <laughs> I mean, it's okay, a fair then. point. It's yeah, a it fair is. Point. Yeah. I mean, as Adrian said a minute ago, at the start of this season or earlier on, both... Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling were pretty much on the on the way out of the city. They were sort of yesterday's men. Um, and it's kind of testament to how cyclical that squad is. That This happens most seasons, that someone kind of starts the season a bit out of favour and then ends it as a, as a key player. So, um, yeah, impressive. You could probably chuck in Riyad Mahrez into that mix as well, because th- does anyone ever include Riyad Mahrez in City's best 11? Or I would hazard a guess that many people don't. Yeah, he's got 17 goals this season. Six assists. I mean, what a phenomenal, underrated player he is, uh, Riyad Mahrez. Yeah, it's, it, it's a testament, I think, to Pep Guardiola's management that he keeps th- these players so in- so interested um, and, and he's able to... I don't know. I don't know if we should give him credit or not, but, but players can come in and out of form very frequently for City and it doesn't affect the team because... He's able to rotate them when they're not in that in that good spot. So um, mm. yeah, it's fantastic, magnificent. Anyway, five nil for City on Wednesday. Meanwhile, Liverpool won two nil at San Siro. Whilst away in Salzburg, Bayern, who got beaten by promoted side Borkum in the Bundesliga of the weekend four one, almost got beaten by Rebel Salzburg. Got to say, none of us have any clue as to how this happened. Uh, we spoke to Christoph Biermann in Tuesday's Europod, and he said, yeah, Bayern, you can win against them, but only if they let you, if they decide to take a day off, which was, you know, with the comfort of their Bundesliga lead, what happened against Borkham at the weekend. I think we'll have to dial up Christoph in next week's Euro show to find out if there's a rather more long-term issue going on with Bayern, complacency, or what have you, injuries and that kind of thing. And indeed, the absence for Bayern of Manuel Neuer could be a, a key factor a couple of things we can mention was that this was Salzburg's first ever knockout game in the Champions League. Coming up against the team as mighty as Bayern Munich, they did not look phased at all. Also, Colin Miller mentioned that Salzburg's skipper, Andres Ulmer, was older than both managers. That's remarkable, isn't it? Matthias Jasler, 33, of Red Bull, and Julian Nagelsmann of 34. Crikey. Uh, seven of the eight teams in this week's Champions League had an average age of between 27 and 30. Red Bull Salzburg was 23.7. So the fact that they had a 36-year-old within that team, that must mean all their other players are about 14, by my calculation. <laughs> Adamu became is the fourth player under 21 to score for them in the Champions League, which is the first time a club's had four players under 21 score since uh, Dortmund back in 2016-17. So Adamu, Sucic, Adeyemi and Okafor. It's 
pretty pretty impressive. I mean, you kind of wow. felt like maybe buying got distracted because they were like when you go shopping, they were just looking around and say, "Oh, f- fancy a bit of that." Maybe two of them, one of him. Oh no, they've scored. But um, <laughs> maybe, possibly so. Meanwhile, at San Siro on Wednesday, the game that I think we were all watching. Inter took on Liverpool. Classic Inter, I would call this, in the Champions League. They were impressive. Created chances, but as much trouble converting in Europe as your dab with the old drachmas. Yeah. <laughs> would you say that's fair? Inter, the better side until they weren't? Yeah, I, th- I think they were. I think the first half was relatively evenly balanced, and then the start of the second, Inter were really in control, and Klopp made that treble substitution, having already made one at half-time. So that's a good example of how having five substitutes at your disposal um, can just completely change the game. And I still think does favour the bigger sides. And I'd say Liverpool are the biggest side with the biggest squad here. Um, but I thought Inter played really well. I thought they were really brave with and without the ball. I was massively impressed with the two centre-backs and how they carried the ball forwards. Um, the wing-backs were constant threat as well, uh, particularly Perisic down the left, who I must say took me a while to realise how good he was. I remember him at Dortmund and wasn't really convinced, but... He's, he's so good. He's so consistent in the Champions League knockout stage and in tournaments as well. He's a really good player, Perisic. Um, but yeah, it's a shame because I think the tie's probably done now. And it doesn't feel like it should be done because that was just such an evenly balanced game. So from the neutral's perspective, I think, uh, yeah, maybe a, maybe a draw oh. would have been nice because the second leg would have set it up nicely. Although Duncan's now going to say if it was for the away goals rule, this tie would be even more over. <laughs> Michael knows me too well. Yeah, no further comment. Are you going to mention the fact that they're 2-0 up, Duncan, and how fraught uh, with danger no, that is? Gonna, no, it's just, you know, the tie's alive thanks to the far-sighted uh, UEFA apparatchnik, so right. hats off. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, Inter looked great. The one thing, they did seem spooked by Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> Every player who, who was bursting forward, every time he'd hove into view, it was, there was this kind of heavy caught-by-sir while trespassing vibe to, to things. 100%. <laughs> that, that, I, was, I was about to say something very similar. Yeah, they, they, were, they were scared of the big kid, weren't they? Uh, Virgil van Dijk. I mean, is there a player in European football now that, that provides more confidence to the players around them than Virgil van Dijk? I'm not sure there is. He's just got that aura about him. That, that that gives off the vibe that we're going to be okay, that, that the other team aren't going to come through. He's, he's just effortlessly excellent at defending, isn't he? It's just, um, yeah, a, a different class, really. I thought, I thought he was superb and he steered Canate through the game and, and as a combination, they, they worked well. Yeah, I thought Canate played pretty well as well, to be fair. Yeah. He, he did some good covering tackles. Um and it was the, I think it was the sixth time in the last seven games that Liverpool have opened a scoring in a game from a set piece as well. So, I mean, this season, both City and Liverpool really have kind of doubled down on, on set pieces and, you know, have created a lot of chances from there, where maybe a few seasons ago that it was less important. And, um, you know, that corner was a very well-worked routine. And obviously Klopp said afterwards that it was something that they had prepared for as well. So. Yeah, it, it, was br- it was a brilliant set-piece routine. Just the distraction of, of all the big guns on the penalty spot. And he just pops out to, to, to effectively have a 1v1 at the near post. The delivery as well, by the way, from Robertson, just spot on. And it, interesting, wasn't it, that, that Robertson was taking it? Because for so long, it's, it's Alexander-Arnold, isn't it, that, that stands over these corners He's the one that produces those big moments from set pieces. But in this game, it was it was the other guy. Mm. Mo Salah then adding a second, which is his eighth Champions League goal of the season. His 24th in all competitions. And a shout for Harvey Elliott, who, Adrian, I remember you watched a lot of in the Championship and are a big fan of. Yeah, he's going to be a really terrific Premier League player. Yeah, I, I think in most teams, Harvey Elliott would be used as part of the front three as one of the wide players, but just at Liverpool, the, the, the levels just go up uh, too far for him at the moment to really get a look in in that department. But yeah, in, in the meantime, for, for someone who's 18, to be looking, it wasn't his best night, but, but, but he wasn't overawed either. And I think he's going he's gonna to have a top career, Harvey Elliott. He's got, yeah, he's got a, a wide skill set. I think he can mm. play in a, a number of different positions. All right, well, that was the Champions League midweek. More of that coming up in a week's time with Chelsea and Man United and Atletico Madrid and Juve and Ajax and all that in the second half of the last 16 games. But next up, let's talk Premier League. So, Mr Raniuk, what's troubling you? 
Well, we've got a, a leak in the dressing room, Doctor. Right, and you want to find out who it is? No, no, I just can't find a good plumber. Sometimes there's only so much you can do. But with Paddy Power, our offers are watertight. So this weekend, get money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus 4 bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Minards 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7-day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. There was a Premier League game on Tuesday in which Man United took the lead, didn't draw 1-1, kept clean sheet, and had Cristiano Ronaldo score a goal. So put that in your narrative and smoke it. Uh, the fixture was Man United's 2-0 win over Brighton. Uh, Seagulls playing the last 35 minutes or so with just 10 men, but Ronaldo scoring before the red card. And Bruno Fernandes afterwards at Man United moving up into the top four again with that win. Who saw this game? Duncan, you did. Any Anything we should know? Um, it followed similar pattern uh, of recent Manchester United games where they had... You know, a spell where they looked quite good um, and then a spell where they were hanging on, really. And Brighton, as often is the case, had a lot of the ball and, and created some good chances. David De Gea made one uh, particularly good save. But, um, yeah, just as it looked like Brighton possibly could equalise with 10 men, um, United scored with virtually the last kick of the game. They won a free kick um, in their own half and uh, Brighton obviously had a lot of men forward trying to equalise and Pogba sort of played it through to Fernandez, who who ran in and kind of dummied both the defender and keeper and slotted it in. It was quite a um, an unusual free kick to take when you're 1-0 up and hanging on because, you know, you'd have thought you'd just kind of keep the ball, but Pogba played it through, which was maybe he knew that that assist would take him ahead of Paul Scholes in any season in Premier League history, so uh, which it did because that was his eighth of the season. So, um, yeah, but a pretty not a convincing win, but a, a very important win when you look at the at the top four race. Hmm. Very good. All right, well, let's look at the top four race then because uh, coming up this weekend, United are going to be at Leeds. That's Sunday, two o'clock. Before that, Saturday, West Ham, who they've just put out a fourth place, will be at home to Newcastle. That's the early game. Then you got six. Three o'clock kickoffs, like the good old days. Arsenal taking on the Bees. Brentford, there's another battle with Bees in Brighton Burnley. Uh, Liverpool host Norwich. Saints face Everton. Villa meet Watford. And Palace take on Chelsea. Tea time Saturday, Man City Spurs. And then Wolves Leicester is the other game on Sunday. Mm. This is, you'll have spotted the reverse set of fixtures of the opening round. Do you remember when Brentford won 2-0 against Arsenal? United did lead 5-1 and the Spurs beat Man City 1-0. In fact, Spurs won all their first three games and were, as I recall, definitely going to win the league back then once they got Kane back and that. City, by contrast, were clearly screwed because they hadn't signed a striker. Huh, six months on, Michael. Yeah, not so much. Didn't Everton <laughs> win Didn't Everton win three of their first four games as well? They, they, yeah. they did ended start up really well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Well, no, you're right. You're right. And every year, I forget that. Spurs, though, have had a a bit of a lesson in that. After those first three wins, they had three defeats in a row, and they've just matched that run of losses under Antonio Conte as they look to take on Man City again. Is this going to be an ugly scoreline, this one, Man City-Spurs? Could be. Soldado special. What does that mean? Well, there was a heat map of Roberto Soldado when Spurs conceded six away at City uh, a few years ago, um, and basically it was just kickoffs was his main <laughs> contribution to the game. So he had a quite nice red spot in the middle of the pitch, but that was about it. But um, yeah, Spurs haven't lost four Premier League games in a row since 2004. So, mm. and if you're trying to avoid that run, 
then away to Manchester City possibly isn't the the ideal fixture. Although at home to Man City, they they do have a good record. 1-0, as we mentioned earlier on this season. The previous two visits by City had been uh, 2-0 victories for Tottenham, but away, Adrian, a different prospect. Yeah, yeah, I think it was 3-0. This time last year, City swatted Spurs aside at the Etihad. I was just thinking about the Spurs dressing room, and has there ever been a dressing room that's looking forward to a match less than, than Spurs are relishing a trip to the Etihad at the moment? Um, morale must be so low in that dressing room, not least because of the defeats and the nature of their performances. I mean, they were a mess, weren't they, against Southampton and and Wolves for long periods of those games. But it's Conte as well. Mm. It's Conte's... Conte spoke to Sky Italia this week. He said, it's a real pleasure to have this opportunity at Spurs, a, a club whose business model I was well aware of when I took their money to sign with them. By players, no, surely it's my task as a manager to make these ones play better. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he should have said. Um, but no, um, he, he's trying to make out that he's, he, it's not what he signed up for. But mm. if Conte had spent half an hour Googling Spurs <laughs> and their transfer practices and the state of the squad that he was inherited, he would have walked away and said, no, I'm going to wait for a different opportunity. It's bizarre what he's coming out with, and, um, and and to even say that that they let four important players for Spurs go in the window is just bizarre because he didn't view them as important because he didn't play them. Um, they wouldn't have left if he fancied them. So yeah, I think his head is gone at the moment. <laughs> really, Adrian? I think it's just well, of course. He has he has had experience of having his head gone. Go <laughs> he's just frazzled. It. I think he's frazzled by the whole experience of managing Tottenham, right. um, and he's yeah. It, you do wonder where it's going to head. Mm. Tottenham is seeking young players, not players who are ready. That is the issue. I realise now this is the vision of the club. We'll see. As I mentioned, it's very easy to leap to conclusions, which time will then utterly uh, disprove. Uh, but uh, right now, it doesn't look too good for Spurs and their attempts not to lose a fourth straight Premier League game for the first time since 2004. When that happened back then, it was Jacques Santini who was in charge, and then it wasn't because he got sacked for it. Yeah. Sky Italia having a big effect on London football this season, aren't they, after the Lukaku thing? The most influential club in London. City, meanwhile, have won four straight, scoring 15 goals in those fixtures, and they are set to become... This is curious. Only the second Premier League club ever to lose their opening game of the season and still win the title. That's remarkable. The other uh, side who've done that are Man United, who admittedly have done it three times, but still surprised. You win nothing with kids. That was one, wasn't it? That was yeah, one. And the opening season. Well, they've gone back top four, have Man United, with the Brighton win on Tuesday. Next up, they're going to be visiting Leeds, the first Premier League game between these two old rivals with actual fans in attendance for over 18 years. Again, to do that remember when thing, when they faced off on opening day, United looked absolutely fabulous. 5-1 winners at Old Trafford. Paul Pogba setting up four of them. Bruno Fernandes scoring three. Looked like things were coming together, a youthful side-ish under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Is it too easy to go and then they signed Cristiano Ronaldo? I mean, that is slightly simplistic, but it is also probably true. Um, they, that Leeds performance was very much a kind of continuation of how they played for a lot of last season. And they still had issues. Leeds, you know, exposed their defence a few times. And I don't think they were ever going to challenge for the title if they hadn't have pressed the by Ronaldo button. But it did, it did change things. And, um, you know, and we are where we are now. And I think... Uh, they, both these teams probably didn't expect to be where they are in the league now, um, back in August. But mm-hmm. it, is, it is. I do like the set of fixtures. A because in most countries this would have been match day twenty because they just repeat the order of fixtures. The fact that the Premier League just jumbles it all around is I find quite quite nice. You like that? Um, I do like that. Okay. Uh, it's like games in hand. Um, and then also, like you said, it's it's a, it is good looking back at how you you kind of make snap judgments after one game maybe podcast right. should be banned until 10, 10 games into the season definitely because, uh, <laughs> but um yeah i mean no, same with arsenal and brentford you know arsenal obviously 
lost uh, their first three games and it was super crisis. But only City and Liverpool have won more more Premier League games since the start of September than Arsenal. So is that right? Um, mm, that's true. Wow, Arsenal, who are in sixth place, four points back from United with three games in hand, and facing Brentford again this weekend, Saturday three o'clock. A Brentford side that's winless in their last seven matches in all competitions. Crikey, Adrian. Uh, here's a fun fact. Arsenal, in 2022, have twice as many red cards as they do goals. <laughs> so fun. Such a fun fact. And this despite conceding the second fewest number of fouls in the Premier League right? this season. Yeah, they're, they're just not dirty. Um, but, yeah, even though I could argue against the, the most recent one, the Martinelli one. The bottom line mm. is that the players need to need to make better decisions, don't they? They need to wise up a little bit and, and, and yeah, just um, not be so so hot headed and rash. So that that's the issue. They're not a dirty team. Okay. Uh, but 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 the goals issue is is a problem. They need to re rediscover that that flow that we saw around Christmas time where they were sort of battering um, most teams. I remember the games at Leeds and, and Norwich in particular. But yeah, it's not not been as free-flowing since, I've got to say. Um, need Martinelli to, to be back in form. He obviously won't play in, in this game. They need um, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Erdegaard to, to catch fire again, really. And, and more so, I would say, with, with the Gunners, it's the senior guys. The kids have done brilliantly this season, pretty much all of them. It's. I'm looking at Lacazette, looking at Xhaka and Thomas Partey. They need to now step up and bring the levels of performance that they're, that they're capable of. If they can, and the kids continue to develop, then Arsenal have a chance of stealing in and nicking this, this top four spot. But, but right. I, think, I think without them improving vastly on what we've seen so far this season from them, Arsenal are still underdogs. Well, still very much in range of the Champions League places, as I mentioned, four points back, but with three games in hand. Another fun fact to you, for you is that uh, Christian Eriksen played an hour for Brentford in a behind-closed-doors friendly on Monday and set up the opening goal. So maybe we could be seeing seeing him get game time in the Premier League sooner than expected. Michael, is there a snap judgment that you made back at the start of the season that you find particularly hard to comprehend now? Um, almost certainly. Why have you got one in mind? No, no. I was up? just wondering which, you know, <laughs> when you look back, which would be your kind of early season certainty that now looks you know, that's held up least well. I thought I thought Crystal Palace might struggle actually. That was a kind of pre-season thing rather than a first few games of the season thing. But I think Vieira's done a good job there. They 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 are very well organised in a completely different system. I thought the Hodgson's. Uh, Approach would be a little bit difficult to move on from. But, yeah, quite a few. I mean, Tottenham started well. Everton started well. I'm always convinced that Burnley will get themselves out of danger. And yet, here they are, 21 games in and having mm. only won one game. So, yeah, there's been quite a lot of... Um, in the bottom half, I think there's been a lot of surprises, should we say. The top half, I think, is roughly as we'd expect. And I think on a points-per-game basis, it's almost the the traditional big six, if you like, who are in the... The, the driving seat of the, of the uh, top six place in the league, and that will be the first time for what three or four years. So, have you have you got a points per game table then? No, but my maths is decent enough to to work it out with, with some of the games in hand. I mean, Tottenham have played three less than a few sides. Arsenal played three less than uh, West Ham. So, um, I think it will be the big six in the top six positions at the end of the campaign. Yeah, my, my snap judgment was was on Lukaku. I think when I saw him in the flesh mm. at Emirates Stadium, when he just bullied the life out of uh, the Gunners, and particularly Pablo Mari, I just thought this guy is going to be a revelation this season. He's going to be the Golden Boot winner. He's going to do that to, to pretty much most opponents Chelsea face. And, and for that reason, I kind of really strongly fancied Chelsea. But... Hasn't happened, has it? It's um, mm. yeah, definitely feel like I got that one wrong. Oh well, Chelsea potentially with Lukaku away at Palace coming up Saturday three o'clock. World champions, Chelsea, of course, these days. Palace have lost their last eight games in a row against the Blues. Not sure why Duncan's sniggering at the mention of world champions. They are world champions. They beat <laughs> the South American champions. Yep. It's uh, it's just I always think it sounds funny about a club rather than a country, but that uh -huh. was 
Okay. Well, there was, it was um, I don't know whether you saw one of these clips that tends to spring up every couple of months of Craig Burley going absolutely mad about something on American TV. And he was going, they're, they're miles behind in the, in the Premier League and they're celebrating out there like they've won the World Cup. Is that one? <laughs> <laughs> Near enough. <laughs> Keep listening for Duncan Alexander versus Alvaro Romeo in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's live-ish. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Quick shout for Wolves, who take on Leicester Sunday 4.30. Wolves, still in the top four mix, I say. Uh, They are six points behind, but they do have two games in hand. Of course, this is Wolves-Foxes in the Diverge from the Wolf lineage about 12 million years ago, Derby. Um, (laughs) Picking up a lot of chatter, as they say, in intelligent mm. circles, that a change could be imminent at the King Power. Hmm. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Leicester lying 11th place in the Premier League, 10 points adrift of 7th, only three wins in their last 13 matches. So a delicate game, this one, for Leicester as they visit Wolves. Since we're doing fun facts, how about this one? Since January 2019, when... Uh, Wolves had a 4-3 win against the Foxes. These teams have met five times and those fixtures have produced just two goals, both of which were scored by Jamie Vardy, who I imagine won't be playing in this one. I mean, Wolves, there really aren't many goals in their games. I know it's an obvious thing to say, but in 23 games, scored 21, conceded 17. They are, I mean, they've been impressive this season, but they're quite a difficult watch, aren't they? Sometimes they play quite well. Like they, they played Everton um, and absolutely battered them, but yeah, didn't score many goals. And uh, they're on course to maybe challenge the all-time low in a combined goals in a game record, which is Liverpool back in 1970-71. In is that right? The all-time lowest, people might not be surprised to know, was uh, Gillingham under a certain Tony Pulis back in 95-96, where uh, they averaged 1.5 goals per game in total across the season, but still got promoted. So 1.5 goals a game, that includes uh, for the opposition. Yeah. For and against, so, yeah. Um, early signs of the genius of Tony Pulis. I wonder whether the goals per game rose dramatically when goalkeepers could no longer pick up back passes because you think about Liverpool, you know, once they got into the league, they just kept passing it back to their keeper at times, didn't they, back in the day. There was a clip on Twitter the other week of a Spurs-Liverpool game from the, I think, late 80s and someone was like, oh, look at the... Look at the uh, look at this game. This is proper football, and it was absolutely terrible. All the Liverpool centre backs were just passing it to full back, get it back, and then rolling it back to Grobola. And it was like, this is this is rubbish. Why are you why are you venerating this? It's just not very entertaining. I, I, as someone who doesn't remember football before the back pass law, I don't really understand how a team ever lost a lead. I mean, just ki- just kick it between your centre backs. If a striker comes near, knock it back to the keeper. He can pick it up, roll it out to the full back. Just do the same for like the rest of the game. I, I think if they'd have had pitches like they do now, back then, you're, you're totally right, it would have never, ever happened. But obviously then, the ball basically just bobbled around and it was pumped up to about a trillion PSI. So, <laughs> you know, every back pass was laced with uh, with danger. Um, mm. So, yeah, a different sport in many ways. <laughs> mm. um, can many I just ways. say on, on Brendan Rodgers, I, th- I think, I rate Brendan Rodgers, I think he's a really good manager, but he, he hasn't gone beyond that three-year cycle, has he? He just hasn't. I think at Liverpool, it was just over three seasons. At Celtic, it was just under three years. At Leicester, he's coming up, I think, to, to around three years. He's, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting crossroads moment. He's definitely had a, had a bad season, Brendan Rodgers, in terms of coaching, because he hasn't found a fix to Leicester's defensive woes hasn't found a formula that, that has improved things. Um, they haven't improved defending set pieces, which has been an Achilles heel 
since day one of the, of the campaign. Um, and even like those, those, those sort of key game management decisions are going wrong for him. I remember the, the Vestergaard one the other day against West Ham. <laughs> it, he puts on a player that, that, that is basically hated by the fans, that's having a stinker of a campaign, brings him on at the death to see it through against, uh, against the Hammers when they weren't really under any kind of pressure. And, and it, it then had the reverse effect and, and, and encouraged West Ham to, to put on that pressure. He's, he's shaky as anything. And, 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 and lo and behold, they score, they score a goal, even though it's a handball, which I still can't believe VAR didn't, didn't rule out. But um, yeah, Brendan Rodgers definitely had a, maybe his roughest season mm. in the big time. I think yeah. this might be Brendan Rodgers' toughest campaign in the big time because he was brilliant at Celtic. There was constant improvement at, at Liverpool until yeah, the it, second... he fell off a cliff a little bit. But even so, I felt that it was never as bad as, as some people made out. This 2014-15 at Liverpool was pretty grim, wasn't it? When he, remember when he played the reserves away to Real Madrid, didn't, yeah. didn't play Gerrard to rest yeah. them for some league game that they then didn't win? That was a pretty low point. But It was. But yeah, yeah. it is interesting about the... The three-year thing. The, the irony with that Gerard controversy was that one of the things he was getting wrong at that point was he was playing Gerard in his starting eleven most weeks. So the controversy was that he left Gerard out because he was playing his reserve team. Whereas really, you know, that wasn't the situation. Yeah, no, no, no. You mean it? Like the, his team selection was wrong for the Premier League, and yet he kind of compounded how wrong it was by you know doing that against Real Madrid. And obviously right. that season ended with. Gerard's last game for Liverpool, the when they conceded six at Stoke, which is mm. a pretty yeah, that was pretty well, bad. So. Maybe maybe I should rewind on this is this is <laughs> Rogers' toughest time in the in the big time. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I think they're, I think they're just, now, just now wait idea. till Thursday evening, Adrian, when they take on Danish side Randers in the Europa Conference League. I mean, they might as well go for that. I mean, they're not going to sure. finish in the European places in the league. Mm. They obviously won the FA Cup last year, so they've got a good pedigree in knockout competitions. I think it's quite a fun. I mean, the group stage, you, you were looking at the teams and thinking, yeah, there's a few, not really sure who they are, but there's a good mix of teams in there. I mean, mm. the fans, I'm sure, will enjoy some of these trips, especially having not really been able to travel for 18 months, weren't able to go to any of the FA Cup games until, what, 10,000 of them could go to the final. So, yeah, if they get through and they play, I don't know, Celtic or Partizan or Marseille, I think that'll be a great, great campaign. There you go. If you're listening, in time... Uh, listener, uh, we'll have a goal show Thursday night with all of the conference and Europa League games and goals as they happen. Super. All right, next up, let's talk about the battle at the bottom in the Premier League. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that'll be good news for Antonio Conte when he finally realises he's the manager of Tottenham Hotspur and they don't ever win titles. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Can I mention, Totally Football Show is going back on the road. Crikey. Yeah, it's another live show. This one's going to be in Manchester on the 19th of April. 19th of April, listener, if you're in the Manchester area, do come by, or better still, 
Go to thelowry.com and reserve yourself some seats because they go like hot cakes. They really do, especially when I reveal that Duncan and Michael are both on the bill at the Lowry in Manchester on the 19th of April. Yes. The Duncan will also be appearing in the opening round of our Intertotally Cup 2022, and that's at the end of this show, so stay tuned for that. But right now, let's talk battle at the bottom. Newcastle, four points clear now of the drop, although it turns out they won't have Kieran Trippier anymore because he's broken his foot. They'll be visiting West Ham this weekend, where they do have a decent record of late. Norwich go to Anfield, less so. Uh, Watford are at Villa. Burnley, with their multiple games in hand, will be hosting Brighton. West Ham, two points behind Man, Man United, of course. So the Hammers won 4-2 at St. James's Park on the opening weekend, which is a nice start. Newcastle looked like they were out of trouble with all these new signings and have won three in a row. But Kieran Trippier going back out again, how much does that you know, put their fire out? It, it puts them under pressure because he's brilliant at taking free kicks, as, as we've been reminded of. And... And even though they've had this upturn and, and you can see they're playing with more confidence, it shouldn't be forgotten that, that key goals have been scored from, from direct free kicks, which aren't sustainable. So they have to find a way, don't they, to, to probably create a little bit more in open play Newcastle. Looking at the team selection, that's what the aim is. One of the big surprises of this, this upturn is that they've done it with a midfield three of Shelby, Joe Linton, and Willock, I mean, how many of us would have said that's the way forward for Newcastle United? Play those three together, and it will all come. It will all come good. I don't think anybody would. So, so yeah, credit them. I think for 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 making that work, and I, I give them a chance at West Ham because Jared Bowen aside, who has got to be a contender, hasn't he, for for the World Cup squad? The way that he's been performing this season. I mean, Salah's the only one with more direct goal involvements than him. Um, yeah, but him aside, I, I, I don't think they're playing that well, West Ham. So it's an opportunity, I think, for the Magpies here. OK. Newcastle have won their last three games in the Premier League and have won their last two visits to the London Stadium. A Watford, in the bottom three, are going to be at Villa. They beat the Villains 3-2 on opening day. That was two Watford managers ago. <laughs> Cisco Munoz that day against Dean Smith. Yeah, I mean, Hodgson... Obviously, Watford haven't scored in his first three games in charge, which is not wildly unusual. His team didn't score early in his Palace time, but um, only three managers in Premier League history have, have seen their team fail to score in their first four games. That's uh, Brendan Rodgers, <laughs> who we were just talking about at Swansea, um, Stuart Gray back in the dark Southampton era, and Frank, Frank de Boer. De Boer. Frank de Boer. Yeah. Which <clears throat> he didn't really get much or any chance after that so it is you know I think Watford fans have been pleased with what they've seen so far in a sense you know they do look more structured they possibly as Adrian just alluded to there with about West Ham they should have probably got something from their game at West Ham where they they outplayed them but at this stage of the season they need to be scoring goals and getting points so um, and Villa look you know particularly at home that Coutinho Jacob Ramsey partnership looks looks really good so um Yes, uh, I would say if Watford don't get anything out of this game, it's starting to look pretty, pretty doomy. It's May Lassar's fit, and uh, I think he could be the game changer for them. They'll certainly be hoping so. I, I still think Watford are among the worst three teams in the league, but he is their most dangerous player, and he, he does elevate Watford, I think. He makes them a, a far more dangerous counter-attacking team, and he, he looks tailor-made, doesn't he, for, for a Roy Hodgson Side. I was looking at some of the stats around Ismail Assar and his involvement. Effectively, he's played half the matches. He's played 12 matches. They've had 11 without him. Um, 13 of their 15 points have been when Saar has been in the side. So that tells you how much of a difference he's made. The team have scored 16 goals with Saar in the side. They've scored seven without him. It's, it, it, I think those kind of numbers you know, tell, tell a pretty clear story. Why, why is he a perfect player for a Roy Hodgson side? Because it's all about the compact shape without the ball, the organisation, not making mistakes and breaking at, at speed. And obviously, Crystal Palace in particular, he had 
he had the wing flyers, didn't he? Power and pace down the sides that that, that tormented teams at, at times. And yeah, Ismail Assar, whether you use him as the main striker or whether you use him on, on the right wing, can do damage. He can do damage to anyone in the league. Mm. Um, they've just got to get the ball to him. All right. Villa not on a great run of form. I think one win in six, so a key game that for Stephen Gerrard as well. Dean Smith... First while Villa manager is now with Norwich and will be at Anfield Saturday three o'clock for a game which Norwich traditionally lose and lose heavily. Uh, Liverpool have won ten of the last eleven meetings, scoring thirty-eight goals in the process. Crikey, Norwich have scored the fewest goals and conceded the most goals in the Premier League. Liverpool scored more more than twice as many first half goals as Norwich have scored total goals this season mm. in the Premier League, which wow, not that surprising, I guess. Um, obviously. Liverpool don't have Luis Suarez available, which is good news as well for Norwich. Um, one, 1.9% of all the goals Norwich have ever let in in the Premier League have been scored by Luis Suarez. Um, and he only played six games against them, which is pretty <laughs> good. Burnley of the blessed games in hand, meanwhile, are at Brighton, who are on a seven league games unbeaten run. Is Vote Vegas going to be fit? They lost. Apparently that's... No, they lost to Man United. Oh, here's my, here's me with my out of date stats. <laughs> is but this is still very much a key point. Is Vekhorst going to be fit? Do we know? Does anybody know yet? Club haven't said. I mean, he never looks fit, does he? I'm not being <laughs> funny, but I don't know whether he'll be available to play. No. Right. Okay. I mean, I Could hope be. he is. Yeah. So like he's, he's your favourite player of all time in the Premier League, Duncan. Yeah. Um, he is viewed certainly. According to From the, many miles away. Has <laughs> <laughs> been key to Burnley's survival hopes, bottom of the table, but with all sorts of extra fixtures, they could potentially pick up points in. And finally, from the Premier League weekend and our special not getting enough of a mention for your liking section, uh, Southampton and Everton. Michael, not content with recently kicking over Zinedine Zidane's statue, apparently you're now taking aim at Ralph Hasenhuttle. What's going on? Well, I don't know if I was just was taking aim at him, and it's the first time I've ever seen Zidane and Hasenhutl put in the, the same sentence like that. Um, I mean, I, I just found it slightly odd that after Southampton got a one-all draw at Manchester United, that the post-match analysis was Paul Scholes saying he thinks Hasenhutl could do a job at Manchester United and would be a mm. good fit there. I mean, you look at the results; they've, they've won eleven of their last fifty games. I mean, mm. it's it's. Um, I think he's doing an all right job at Southampton. I don't think their squad is particularly good. And I think he is, they are probably punching above their weight compared to what they're putting out there in terms of the starting 11. But I mean, if Manchester United are going for a manager who's recording such mediocre results, I think Mm. something's gone badly wrong. Sorry. He's he's (laughs) saying that he's a good fit for United, actually not a compliment, do you think? Well, yeah, possibly. I mean... Mm. um, it's not. I mean, I, I thought him and Rangnick slightly fell out when they're working together at um, RB Leipzig, didn't they? I mean, Rangnick certainly decided that he would prefer Hasenhutl to leave and himself to take over as the coach, rather than him maintaining his job as the sporting director in this kind of ongoing mystery about precisely what Ralph Rangnick is and what his you know, <laughs> optimum role at a club is I don't know I find the whole situation very weird the problem with with Hassan Hootel, if he took over at Manchester United is would the players buy into his methods and his the, the reason why people rate him is because he gets players for want of a better cliche running through brick walls from he gets them working so hard from the front it, but it's it's proven that this group of United players don't don't really listen to their managers, do they? So all right, that's um, that's one of the secrets behind Southampton's success. Dan Sheldon of the Athletic thinks he's found another, pointing out that in a huge fourteen of Southampton's twenty-four Premier League games this season, which is well over half, a Saints player has gone down injured between the sixtieth and seventieth minute, and the teammates all then go and consume an energy gel or drink on the sidelines. Coincidence or plan? Asked Dan. Watch out for that one. Then sixty to seventy minutes into this game at home to Everton at the weekend. Mm. I think it's got to be deliberate, hasn't it? It's got to be. If, if, it's, if, it's, energy, <laughs> if it's centred around the consumption of an energy drink, I think right. that's, that, I mean, you, can, you can safely say that's a planned move. It's pretty common though, right, amongst a lot mm. of clubs now. I mean, I've seen I mean, it, 
Yeah, and I would think that you could find, I mean, 14 out of 24 games that a player goes down injured between the 60th and 70th minute, for me, feels like quite a broad, quite, you know, quite an ample net to cast. Well, I, but I think it's also that they've never actually gone off injured, have they? Ah. And there's, there's a very sudden rush over to the touchline to uh, right. consume the energy drinks. I remember when the Athletic launched, a few people were like, do you really need a reporter for every Premier League club? Yeah. And like, I mean, that's the kind of thing we're all about, you know, <laughs> spotting what time players go off injured and working out when they take on their energy drinks, you know? Yeah. You couldn't have spotted that if you'd only watched Southampton twice all season. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, Everton have only won one away game all season in the Premier League, and that was back in August. Of course, now that they've got Frank Lampard in charge, that might all change. Very good. Of course, on Monday, we'll be back taking stock of what actually has happened in the Premier League weekend. But next up in this Totally Football Show, let's begin the Intertotally Cup. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. All right. Yeah, I'm excited too, listener. The Intertotally Cup, like Zoom, baking banana bread or suitcases of wine, it's a product of the first great lockdown. You'll recall that back in 2020, a collection of football's finest minds, starved of football, came up with something new, a quiz, they called it. And it turned out, I'm going to say, to be even more enthralling than the actual sport thing. There's a kind of similar Bayern in the Bundesliga vibe to the title part of it so far. Both years have been won by Michael Cox at a canter. But as a brand new Intertotally Cup starts today, everyone, all 16 contestants, still have a chance, apart from the seven of them who are on the same side of the draw. As Michael. Anyway, let's meet our first two contestants. Up first, the man who puts the anal into analysis. He is the OG of XG, Duncan Alexander. All right, Duncan Alexander, have you had to come far? No, okay. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Uh, this is this is huge. How, how are you? Are you excited at the dawn of a new of a new totally? You you've had some difficulty in the past. I see. Looking at your previous results, eliminated in the first round in 2020, made the quarterfinals last year. How do you feel this time? The first year, I think, a bit like with the Premier League fixture computer, it seems to throw up a lot of similarities season on season. You do wonder whether there's some. Uh, some algorithm tampering going on because I think the first ever game in this whole thing was me against Alvaro. So uh, we're back where no we started. Way. Really? Mm-hmm. Crikey. Well, a bit of a spoiler there because uh, let's now meet Duncan's opponent. And his opponent. He loves quizzes so much he puts an upside down question mark at the start of every sentence. Si, sí, senor. It's Alvaro Romeo. All right, Alvaro Romeo went on a beautiful ride all the way to the semi-finals in the first season, beating Duncan along the way. As we heard, welcome, Alvaro Romeo. Hello, guys. Hello, guys. Nice to see you, Alvaro. Uh, Last year didn't go so well for you. Eliminated in the first round by the eventual finalist, Benji Lanyado. Have you been Have you been training hard in the off season? Uh, yeah, 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 I have. Uh, I never stopped reading about the sport and all that. And, uh, you know, I think last season I was nervous. I think that uh, on the basis of what I did in 2020, I was considered one of the good ones and I couldn't keep up with the pressure. So this right. year I, I prefer the role of the underdog. I'm going to put that custom on me. So I am the underdog today. Yeah. Duncan Alexander is brilliant. Nah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go in recent form, which is still two years, yeah. Right. How much does that defeat back in 2020? How much does that burn, Duncan? Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty badly, actually. Yeah, I'd like All to right. say <clears throat> I bounced back, but I don't think I ever have really. Mm. Well, perhaps not until today. The winner of today uh, will progress to the quarterfinals where they'll face either Lindsay Hooper or Rory Smith. They'll also win £10, which Paddy Power will place on a bet of your choice with the winnings also going to charity, the charity of your choice. What would be your charity, Duncan? And what would be your bet? Uh, I've gone for the Trussell Trust uh, for charity. Um, and the bet is 
for Batman City and Liverpool to both score four or more goals this weekend. Crikey. All right. Alvaro, what's your charity and your bet? My charity is Shelter, and they give a roof to homeless people. It's um, a charity I've been uh, taking part with uh, for a while now. And uh, my bet for the weekend is very simple, actually. Everton to win at St. Mary's this weekend. Mm. All right. Uh, Why do you think they will? Uh, because I think that this is the moment for Everton to step up. They won the last game. Uh, I think that Southampton were good against Manchester United, but they also conceded many chances. And I think that Everton can do it. All right. Well, let's ask you more questions now, but into Totally Cup questions as we kick off the 2022 competition. Alvaro, question one. Name the missing job in Brendan Rodgers' managerial career path. Ooh. Watford? Missing club. Swansea, Liverpool, Celtic, Leicester. What came after Watford and before Swansea for Brendan Rodgers? I honestly don't know. All right. Does anybody else want to have a pop at this? Duncan? Yes, it was Reading. It was. Okay. Uh, Question two. Cristiano Ronaldo finished joint top scorer at Euro 2020, but with which other player? Who finished joint top scorer with Cristiano Ronaldo at last summer's Euros? Is it... Lorenzo Insigne? It was not. Duncan? Uh, Patrick Schick? Is correct. You don't get any points for that, except for the psychological dents you're putting into, (laughs) Alvaro, as we head into question three. Alvaro, The Perfect Chaos is the title of a recent documentary series about which player? The Perfect Chaos. Mm. Going to have to hurry there, Alvaro. No, I don't know. I don't know this one either. My God. Mm. Uh, It's Neymar. It's Neymar, listener. The perfect chaos. Hmm. Interesting. All right, question four. Name one of the national teams that Sven Juran Eriksson has managed apart from England. You've got three potential answers here. (laughs) A national team that Sven has cast his magic spell on. Has been Sweden one of them? It's not... It's not. Anybody got any Sven answers here? Ivory Coast is a. It, Ivory Coast is is correct. Is correct. You could also have had Philippines. You could have Philippines, or for bonus kind of pride points, no Mexico. Oh, yeah. There's a combination. Yeah. All right. Question five, and I'm going to say you really need this one, Alvaro. Yes. Question five: <laughs> Which club? is currently 12 points clear at the top of the Turkish Super League. Hmm. Hmm. Is it Istanbul Basaksehir? No, it's Trabzonspor. Okay. Hmm. Wow, Avro. Taking that underdog role perhaps a little bit too far <laughs> yeah, yeah, with that yeah. set of uh, answers. A score of zero. How do you feel? Uh, I feel defeated, but uh, well, anyway, th- things uh, things may happen, and uh, mm-hmm. that can, can have a meltdown. But uh, yeah. I, I really give myself zero chance right now. Really? Okay. Well, there is a tiebreaker question. If Duncan fails to answer any of his questions correctly, let's see. Then, Duncan Alexander, here's your first question: Name the missing job in Marcelo Bielsa's managerial career path. Chile, Athletic Bilbao, missing club. Lazio. Lille, Leeds United. What was the stop in between Bilbao um, and Rome? Marseille. Correct. And you're through <laughs> to the quarterfinal to take on Rory Smith or Lindsay Hooper. That was tough, eh, Duncan? Well, what a look, fight. I've been, I've been there, Alvaro. I, I'm, you know, <laughs> other people can say what they like, but only, only people within the game know what it feels like uh, in that situation. So I'm putting my arm around you, and I'm. I'm saying, keep your head up. Keep your head up. I'm saying congratulations. Get that head of head of yours up immediately. 
Indeed. Yeah. Alvaro, thank you so much for playing. We'll run through the rest of the questions and see how well, how what kind of score Duncan would, would have come up with. Question two, Duncan, which player missed Spain's crucial final penalty in the Euro 2020 semi-final shootout against Italy? Who was it, Duncan? Final penalty for Spain in the semi-final shootout with Italy last uh, summer. Morata? It was Morata. That's two for two. Question three, the partner of which footballer, has recently released a six-part documentary series on Netflix. Which footballer's partner has just dropped six parts of documentary on Netflix? I should know this. I don't know it, so I'm going to say Big Ron's wife. Big Ron Atkinson? Yeah, it's not true, but the idea amuses me. So It's the other Big Ron. It's Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh... Well, his wife. That's who I meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question four. Name one of the Serie A clubs that Sven Juran Eriksson has managed other than Lazio. There's three of them. Michael knows all three, don't you, Michael? I think I do. Okay. Duncan? Fiorentina? Is one. Oh, that come was... on. What? Seriously? I'm not having James Richardson shout at me for Serie A knowledge. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Michael, the other two? Uh, Roma Sampdoria is correct question five he's out there contestants Michael Cox is out there uh, Union Saint-Gilois are currently seven points clear at the top of the Belgian league but which Premier League club do they share owners with is Ooh. this was it's Brighton isn't it it is Brighton yeah featured yeah. in last week's uh, well the week before's uh, Totally Football Show European Edition, courtesy of Christophe Tourer. So your final score was four, four out of five. Very impressive, Duncan. Very impressive. Alvaro, are you still there? Still here, yeah. Oh, still excellent. Here. Okay, very good. Well, look forward to speaking to you next Tuesday in the European Edition, Duncan. You're through to take on, as I say, either Lindsay Hooper or Roy Smith. Who do you want? Uh, you can only beat yourself in this game. Um, so, yeah, I don't mind. I just, just a fair fight. Congratulations, Duncan Alexander. You're through to the next round of the inter Totally Cup. And if you think Duncan's bet that both Liverpool and City will score four or more goals each this weekend, you'll get odds of 10 to 1 at paddypower.com or on the Paddy Power app. Odds are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. And please, gamble responsibly. Of course, we'll have another two plucky hopefuls coming up on Monday. Adrian, who have you drawn? Um, last year's finalist. Was it ben- Benji... Oh, Benji Lanyardo, excitingly. And uh, the the key first-round draw is, of course, Michael Cox against Daniel Storey, a previous final. That's huge. Yeah. Should be should be seeding, really, in these draws. I yeah, think. this is why there's... I mean, we shouldn't really, really, but there is talks about a quiz Super League going on because, <laughs> I mean, if you're wasting these sort of ties in the first round, it's... Yeah, me and Perez have already talked and, yeah, it's not... All right. All right. Not sure who's coming up on Monday, uh, but it'll be somebody. That's the key thing. So uh, there you go. That brings us to the end of today's Totally Football show. Many thanks to Michael Cox, Duncan Alexander and Adrian Clark and producer Charlie and to Alvaro Romeo for his fleeting appearance in the Intertotally. Most of all, to you, listener. And I'm not just saying that. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. And we'll speak to you then. Bye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.